Hello, everyone, and welcome to the August 16 edition of the WarComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our litigation report. The WCAB will decide if the reimbursement of 4850.4 pension disability benefit overpayment is an issue under its jurisdiction. In this case, Rebecca Gage injured her spine while working as a deputy sheriff for the county of Sacramento. She requested an advance over 4850.4 disability pension benefits, and the county was late making those benefits, so she sought Labor Code Section 5814 penalties. The work comp judge determined that disability pension advances are within the Labor Code 3207 definition of compensation and therefore subject to the 5814 penalties. Then a split WCAB panel granted, granted reconsideration and review, reversed the work comp judge and held that advances for a disability pension paid under 4850.4 were not compensation and consequently not subject to the penalty provisions of 5814. Then the Court of Appeal reversed the WCAB in a published opinion and agreed with Rebecca Gage and concluded that advanced disability pension payments are indeed defined as compensation under 3207 and the Appeals Board thus has jurisdiction to issue penalties under 5814 for an unreasonable delay of those pension disability payments. Then in 2018, the parties resolved all penalties by agreement. Now, moving forward to the current dispute, the county filed a DOR in 2021 seeking an order compelling Rebecca Gage to participate in the 4850.4F resolution process to resolve their claim of overpayment of the pension disability benefits. They claim that a mediation was scheduled to resolve the dispute, but Gage did not attend and has subsequently been unresponsive to communications with the county on this issue. Labor Code 4850.4F provides that a local agency may take reasonable steps, including litigation, to recover the payments that were advanced. It does not, however, specify where that litigation is to take place. The work comp judge denied the request of the county ruling that the WCAB does not have jurisdiction over the reimbursement process, despite the Court of Appeal decision in this case. The work comp judge also denied the county's requests that the court set a hearing over the question of jurisdiction in order to create a record, ruling that the issue is a pure legal question for which no record is necessary. Now the WCAB panel granted reconsideration of this order in the newest 2021 panel decision of Gage versus the County of Sacramento. It said that all parties to a workers' compensation proceeding retain the fundamental right to due process and a fair hearing under both the California and United States constitutions. A determination akin to summary judgment is not permitted in workers' compensation proceedings. Thus, the matter was remitted to provide both parties with an opportunity to present their arguments regarding the dispute and, cre and create an evidentiary record.
The Court of Appeal elaborated the rules for insurer bad faith in a published decision involving a $26 million judgment. Maryam Hediati suffered catastrophic injuries when Auto Club's insured Maurice Van Wick ran a red light and struck her in a pedestrian crosswalk. The accident severed one of her legs at the scene, shattered the other, and left her in a coma with broken bones throughout her body. At the time, she was 43 years old and a recent medical school graduate and was struck while walking as she took a break from studying for her medical board examinations. The insured driver immediately notified Auto Club of the accident and authorized the club to disclose his policy limits of $25,000. And he also informed the Auto Club he had no other insurance and no other assets. Despite repeated requests during settlement negotiations from her attorney, the Auto Club initially declined to disclose the insured's policy limits. Eventually, it relented. But even then, Auto Club declined to provide written proof of those limits. Auto Club then withheld from uh, Hedatye's counsel the insured's written declaration, which indicated he had no other insurance, which the club had confirmed, and the insured's statements that he had no assets. The Auto Club, despite multiple requests from her lawyer, failed to provide a copy of its insurance policy, which the lawyer needed to verify its terms. Auto Club ultimately failed to settle the matter within its $25,000 policy limits. The matter went to trial, and she subsequently obtained a $26 million judgment against the insured driver. Along with the assignment of his claim against the club for breach of the covenant of good faith and fair dealing implicit in its policy with him. Then, in following litigation filed by Hidyati for bad faith against Auto Club, Auto Club moved for summary judgment, which was granted by the trial court. The Court of Appeal reversed the trial court in the published case of Hidyati versus the Auto Club. The Court of Appeal carefully reviewed the law of insurance bad faith and pointed out several errors in the ruling by the trial court. Good faith and fair dealing requirements obligate insurers to make reasonable efforts to settle claims against their insureds. An insurer that unreasonably fails to accept a settlement demand that falls within the policy limits of its insureds acts in bad faith. An insurer may also be liable if it breaches other duties owed to the insureds, such as the duty to investigate or the duty to communicate, and that breach prevented the insurer from settling the claim within the policy limits. A liability insurer has a duty to communicate to its insured any settlement offer that could affect the insured's interests, particularly where the action is required by the insured to secure the settlement. There was therefore a triable issue of bad faith, and thus the summary judgment was not justified. According to the Association of Air Medical Services, more than a half million individuals are transported by way of air ambulance services each year. The majority of these transports are by helicopter in emergency situations. The remainder are fixed-wing transports for longer distances. 
Air ambulance companies have successfully claimed that they were exempt from state fee schedules in litigation for now more than a decade. At, what at one time, the California Workers' Compensation Fee Schedule regulated ambulance service fees. But the ambulance fee schedule as applied to air ambulance services was challenged by those providers in California. Ultimately, the WCAB issued an en banc decision in 2013 conceding the preemption of federal law over official medical fee schedule limits if the air ambulance provider could establish they were an air carrier that provides air transportation within the meaning of the Airline Deregulation Act. This more or less ended the controversy in California workers' compensation cases and decisions in other jurisdictions had a similar result until a recent case in the Supreme Court of Texas. Excessive helicopter transport bills were the crux of the lawsuit in PHI Air Medical, LLC, versus Texas Mutual Insurance Company. A trial court rendered judgment in favor of eight plaintiff insurers, which included Texas Mutual Insurance Company, and Hartford Underwriters Insurance Company, who disagreed with PHI's per-trip charge for medically transporting injured workers. In a split June 26, 2020 opinion, the Supreme Court of Texas rejected the preemption argument in workers' compensation disputes. However, this didn't end the matter, since a similar case made its way into the federal court system in Texas on the identical issue. This other case was Air Evac EMS Incorporated, an air ambulance provider that offers medical transport services to a wide variety of patients, including patients who are injured at the workplace. The price of that air evac may charge for such transportation is accordingly subject to conflicting regulatory regimes. Two of the Texas Fifth Circuit sister courts have unanimously held that the ADA federal law preempts price controls on air ambulance services set by states' workers' compensation re regulations. Now, here in Texas, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeal agreed and reversed the Texas Supreme Court position in the case of Air Evacs EMS Incorporated versus the Texas Commissioner of Insurance, a 2021 decision. The federal opinion said that in doing so, it agrees with its sister courts of appeals, which have unanimously held that federal law preempts state price caps on ambulance reimbursements. A federal judge dismissed Amazon's lawsuit seeking to block New York Attorney General Letitia James's investigation into its worker safety protocols during the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic. According to the New York Attorney General, Amazon failed to institute reasonable safety measures at two facilities that have a combined workforce of 5,000 employees. After workers complained and protested the pandemic conditions, one was fired and the other was issued a final written warning. The Attorney General calls that action retaliatory, while Amazon argues the disciplinary measures were the result of the in-person protests thwarting social distancing rules. 
The state matter took a trip to federal court but landed back in New York County last April, and it remains pending. Now, separate from the ongoing state matter was the now-dismissed complaint in the Eastern District of New York, which Amazon, who was at the time aware of the Attorney General's investigation, filed its case less than a week before the Attorney General did. The company had argued that the state was preempted by federal worker safety laws under the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. However, the U.S. District Judge disagreed. The court said, here, the Attorney General's state action seeks to reinforce state labor laws and health and safety regulations and to sanction an employer for allegedly illegal conduct that occurred within the state. In other words, the general nature of the Attorney General's state case is the enforcement of the state's laws, particularly those aimed at protecting the health and safety of its citizens. Such an action goes to a fundamental interest of the state as a sovereign. A string of victories by plaintiffs in the several Monsanto Roundup cancer cases may be paving the way for workers' compensation subrogation should those cases be ultimately filed by California farm workers as industrial injuries. A new published opinion in California continues to be favoring these plaintiffs. The new case, Alberta Pilad and her husband, Alva Pilad, each developed non-Hodgkin's lymphoma after years of spraying Roundup herbicide on their property. The Pilad sued Monsanto Company, the manufacturer of Roundup, for damages based on claims of design defect and failure to warrant. After a six-week trial, the jury found for the Pilads, awarding Alberta over $37 million in compensatory damages and Alva over $18 million in compensatory damages, and then awarded each of them $1 billion in punitive damages. The trial court conditionally denied Monsanto's motion for a new trial contingent on the Peleod's acceptance of substantially reduced compensatory and punitive damages. This resulted in a total award to Alberta of about $56 million, including about $45 million in punitive damages, and a total award to Alva of about $31 million, including about $25 million in punitives. The Peleods accepted these reductions. But on appeal, Monsanto argues that the Peleods' claims were preempted by federal law, among a host of other issues. In their cross-appeal, the Peleods argue that the trial court erred in reducing the jury's awards for compensatory and punitive damages. But the trial court was affirmed in the published opinion of Peleod versus Monsanto. The 84-page decision carefully reviewed the scientific evidence and the history of the plaintiff's use of the product and found that it supported the final result. Monsanto argued that the Peleot's claims, which are brought under California common law, are preempted by the federal insecticide, fungicide, and rodenticide act, that's FIFRA, F-I-F-R-A, which governs the use, sale, and labeling of pesticides, including herbicides. But the court was not persuaded by their argument. 
The Supremacy Clause of the United States Constitution makes federal law paramount and vests Congress with the power to preempt state law. However, California common law does not impose any requirements that are different from or in addition to the requirements of FIFRA. And now our crime report. San Mateo County Medical Center and San Mateo County have agreed to pay about $11.4 million to resolve alleged violations of the False Claims Act for submitting claims to Medicare for non-covered inpatient admissions. Medicare reimburses only services that are reasonable and necessary for the diagnosis of treatment of an illness or injury. The United States alleged that the medical center admitted certain patients for whom inpatient care was not medically reasonable or necessary, including patients who were admitted for reasons other than medical status, including social reasons and lack of available alternative placements. They then billed Medicare for such patients despite knowing that the costs for admitting them were not reimbursable by Medicare. In addition to the monetary settlement, the defendants entered into a five-year corporate integrity agreement, which requires them to engage an independent review organization that will perform annual reviews of inpatient admissions that they bill to federal health care programs. The civil settlement includes the resolution of claims brought under a key tom or whistleblower provisions of the False Claim Acts Act by a person named Felix Levy a former employee of San Mateo County Medical Center. Under those provisions, a private party can file an action on behalf of the United States, and he will also receive a portion of any recovery. And in regulatory news, the California Department of Public Health issued a new public health order on August 11. This requires all school staff to either show proof of full vaccination or be tested at least once per week. The new policy for school staff will take effect August 12, and schools must be in full compliance by October 15. Free testing resources are available to K-12 schools through the California K-12 Schools Testing Program. In recent weeks, California claims it has led the nation in implementing measures to slow the spread of COVID-19, including vaccine verification for state workers and for healthcare workers, universal masking in K-12 settings, Medi-Cal vaccination incentives, and a statewide mask recommendation. The California Department of Public Health said that the COVID-19 pandemic remains a significant challenge in California. And they added that California is currently experiencing the fastest increase in COVID-19 cases during the entire pandemic, with 22.7 new cases per 100,000 people per day, with case rates increasing tenfold since early June. The Delta variant, which is two times more contagious than the original virus, is currently the most common variant causing new infections in California. However, employer-mandated vaccinations are facing union headwinds. The San Francisco Sheriff's Association, which is the union representing officers in the San Francisco Sheriff's Department, said 
that many sheriff's deputies would resign if the department sought to enforce a new coronavirus vaccine mandate. In a Facebook post on Friday, the union wrote that the city's mandate, which threatens termination for noncompliance, was out of step with Governor Gavin Newsom's own mandate, which at least offered regular testing as an alternative. It added that the Sheriff Association has always promoted COVID-19 safety and has given out masks as well as face shields to first responders and the public during the peak of the pandemic. The problem now is the strict San Francisco mandate, which is vaccinate or be terminated. If deputy sheriffs are forced to vaccinate, a percentage of them will retire early or seek employment elsewhere. The majority of deputy sheriffs are vaccinated, but about 160 out of the 700 deputy sheriffs are not and prefer to mask and test weekly instead of being vaccinated due to religious and other beliefs. Currently, the staffing at the San Francisco Sheriff's Office is at the lowest it has ever been due to the past nine-month applicant testing restriction placed on the Sheriff's Office by the mayor. And San Francisco cannot afford to lose any more deputy sheriffs or any first responders. If they retire early or quit, this will affect public safety even more. San Francisco already faces a crisis in law enforcement with petty crimes soaring and its mayor, London Breed, proposing to redistribute $120 million from law enforcement to social programs. And other California employers are facing similar headwinds. Disney revealed its new policy last week requiring employees to be vaccinated. That, however, only applied to salaried and non-union cast members and not to the 38,000 union members who make the bulk of the workforce. The president of Local 362, which represents many cast members, including those in attractions and custodial work, say the six unions making up the Service Trades Council have been negotiating with Disney all week about the issue and plan to continue doing so. And union opposition appears in other states as well. The New York State United Teachers Union voiced opposition after Governor Andrew Cuomo encouraged schools to adopt such requirements. The Division of Workers' Compensation has posted an order adjusting the Physician and Non-Physician Practitioner Services section of the official medical fee schedule to conform to changes in the Medicare payment system, which is required by the California Labor Code. The Administrative Director Update Order adopts the CMS Revised Medicare Telehealth List posted to the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid website last July. The revised list is adopted for services rendered after August 1, and the order can be found on the DWC OMFS Physician Fee Schedule webpage. On July 23, CMS published its annual proposed changes to the Medicare Physician Fee Schedule and included several key telehealth and other virtual care-related proposals. Their proposals address long-standing restrictions that have historically limited the use of telehealth and virtual care, including geographic and originating site restrictions, and limitations on audio-only care. 
These proposals include changes pertaining to the delivery of mental health services by telehealth. And in medical news, Dr. Robert Wallace Malone is an American virologist and immunologist, and he was a pioneer who helped develop the mRNA vaccine technology. He raised concerns about potential long-term autoimmune issues and other complications potentially arising from mRNA jabs to vaccinate from COVID. He showed concerns about the possibility that imperfect vaccines might actually help foster more virulent COVID variants due to a phenomenon called ADE, that's antibody-dependent enhancement. Essentially, that means what doesn't kill a virus makes it stronger. He has been highly criticized for these views, but now his views are gaining some traction. A British scientist and academic named Professor Sir Andrew Pollard, who is the director of the Oxford Oxford Vaccine Group, warned the UK Parliament that the UK likely will not ever achieve COVID herd immunity thanks to the Delta variant. Recently, a group of scientists estimated that the threshold for herd immunity might now be as high as 90% due to the Delta. Since those are vaccinated can still be infected by variants, there is virtually nothing the UK can do to eradicate COVID completely. The professor said it was unlikely that herd immunity will ever be reached, saying the next variant of the novel coronavirus will be perhaps even better at transmitting in vaccinated populations. Pillard also shared what sounded like a subtle criticism of masks by saying that we don't have anything which will stop that transmission to other people. As an example, he pointed to Israel, which saw new cases and hospitalizations nearly disappear before the new variant took hold. And it is causing cases and hospitalizations now to surge once again. Now there have even been a handful of patients who have tested positive even after receiving their third dose of the Pfizer jab, which the U.S. has only just approved for a third dose as well. Even the White House is finally acknowledging that vaccines aren't nearly as effective as they once believed, which is why the FDA has decided to approve the third dose. So that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news, podcasts, and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd Scarron, Manuki, and Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news. 